Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. They were there. They were there, this all-volunteer army of ours, these incredible men and women who serve this country selflessly and the families behind them that allow that, they were there. And uh, I never want to forget that, and I always want to pay tribute to them each and every Friday. And gratefully, I don't have any names to add to the list of fallen, but I have some, I have some seriously not good news about our military. You know, two stories that really just um, disturb me greatly and should disturb you as well. The first was in the Washington Times this morning, and it said the U.S. military is in a bitter fight to attract and retain recruits, and its most potent enemies are around every corner. It's Wendy's. It's every single job that a young person can go up against because now they're offering the same incentives that we are offering. That's our competition right now, said Army Command Sergeant Major Marco Irenz, the head of the Nevada Army National Guard Recruiting and Retention Battalion. Sergeant Irenz and other National Guard officials briefed reporters on Wednesday about this recruiting crisis that's confronting our armed forces. And that's pretty serious. This is the worst recruiting environment in the 50-year history of the country's experiment with an all-volunteer army and a a force that's all-volunteer. You know, when I was growing up, we had drafts. Certainly during the Vietnam era, we had drafts. And with the exception of the Marine Corps, every single service organization expects to fall short of its recruiting goals in fiscal 2023. The Army expects to be about 10,000 soldiers short of its goal. The Navy is on track to be about 6,000 short. The Air Force will miss its mark by about 10,000. And uh, I didn't see any statistics on the Coast Guard. And I guess part of me hopes that um, this horrifying event that took place where the Coast Guard figured prominently, won't dissuade, but perhaps persuade young people to join the Coast Guard. But I don't know the answer to that question. And then I received an email from uh, Congressman Michael Waltz, who will be my guest on Monday. And, uh, you know, he had written an article in the Washington Examiner. And it said, What if I told you China's People's Liberation Army or some other adversary could strike the United States homeland through cyber or by cutting off critical supply chains in a way that rivaled the carnage of the September 11th attacks? Such a brutal assault against our citizens would surely demand 
an immediate and overwhelming response that couldn't be excused with sanctions or precision strikes. Rather, the American public would demand such an attack be met with a whole-of-military response that required all our land, air, and sea assets. This is a scenario we hope to deter, but one which we must increasingly be prepared for. Yet the climate reforms the Biden administration is swiftly implementing will cripple the military's readiness for our next conflict. And the signals these policy changes are sending to industry could also damage our industrial base for years to come. You know, the uh, Army Secretary Christine Warmoth, they have decided that they have to be rapidly addressing climate change with aggressive transformations to reduce carbon emissions from vehicles and installations. They want to be 100% carbon pollution-free electricity for Army installations by 2030 and net zero Army emissions by 2050. Let me ask you, do you care if the fighting forces emit carbon? Like, that's not going to be our biggest problem if China attacks or any, you know, or the mullahs in Iran begin attacking uh, uh, Israel. Do you really think that we should be sitting around and contemplating how much carbon emissions will be involved in response? Because I don't. You know, and I'm not an armchair warrior. I admit I don't know what I don't know. But one thing I am quite certain, having been the daughter of a, a man who took the might of the military that our country, I mean, harnessed to end World War II, this is not a particularly good time or a propitious time to be playing climate games with the military. It's not a good time to be playing, you know, these LGBTQ games with the military. Because, trust me, they're not playing those games in China, they're not playing those games in Russia, and they're not playing those games in the Middle East. They're just not. And that will prove to be a very, very, very dangerous set of decisions this administration is making. And I often think about, you know, back in the beginning of my talk radio career down here when it was the Bill Clinton election and then the Bill Clinton years, we talked frequently about the fact that Bill Clinton really did not like the military, never had a positive thing to say about the military, uh, was known to be reluctant to dispatch forces, and when he did, he often made very strategic errors, you know, bombing an aspirin factory. And so it was during that period of time that I first experienced a little fear. And I said, well, you know, if we don't have the best fighting force, then we're not the leaders of the free world. And then little by slowly, it got better again. And not always as a direct result of Republican leadership, mind you, because I think that uh, we've had some Republican leadership which made some terrible errors, in particular, weapons of mass destruction, you know. And 
endless, endless incursions into the Middle East with no apparent, you know, protocol or recipe to win. And so, you know, I am feeling the way I have felt in the past that we are very vulnerable. And what makes it worse this time, and the reason I'm much more nervous this time, is because back then, our country may have had divisions, and there may have been people who had different political ideas and political philosophies, but we were not divided the way we are now. This country is split in half, and a house divided cannot stand, and a military that cannot defend the divided house is a real problem. You know, now I'm listening to, I heard Congressman Dan Crenshaw. I'm listening to James Cameron, you know, the director and uh, apparently a deep sea expert himself, the director of Titanic. I'm listening to these men and others begin to raise questions as to whether or not the United States responded appropriately to the Titan rescue mission. And the fact that now it seems to be pretty common knowledge that the Navy knew that there was an implosion on Sunday and therefore did not dispatch some of the assets that they finally dispatched, you know, two days ago because they were convinced that there had been an implosion, explosion, and there was no real reason to go there. But meanwhile, they let all these other countries and all these private industries and these families deploy a lot of resources and assets to that search. And Dan Crenshaw said, we need some answers. You know, what happened? We have military assets that could have been instrumental had there been a rescue instead of a recovery mission taking place. Now, I am not sophisticated enough to know the answers to those questions, but the fact that we're asking those questions again and the fact that there are people like me who are very concerned because we do not trust the military leadership anymore. You know, how many you know, uh, generals in, in gender transition do we have now? How many admirals are men wearing skirts? This should concern us greatly. And if it doesn't, you know, well then, yeah, I, I wish you, I wish you the peace that comes with being an idiot because I am concerned. And I am raising the alarm with my congressman. I'm raising the alarm with both of my senators. I have uh, called the White House, and I have said, how ready is the United States military, and why are we pouring money into you know, DEI and all the rest of this when, and, and climate change protocols when we have enemies that are arming and wreaking havoc in various parts of the world, watching, watching us. What do you think the 
mullahs in in Iran think when they see, you know, our admiral, who is a, I, I don't even know how to refer to, to this person, you know, a man in a dress, a transgendered woman, whatever, whatever makes you happy. How do you think the mullahs in Iran look at that? How do you think Vladimir Putin looks at that? How do you think Xi Jinping looks at that? You know, there's not another country on earth where they would tolerate the level of insanity that we have let penetrate every single corner of our society from academia to early childhood education to the military. I mean, the military was always the sacred cow. You don't play around with the military. You don't play around with our children. But now those are no longer sacred. You know, the Department of Justice, I'm asking people that I meet casually, you know, how do you feel about, you know, all these, uh, all these scandals, you know, the president getting arrested or, you know, Hunter Biden, you know, getting a plea deal, you know, do, do you believe that the Department of Justice is targeting, for instance, Donald Trump? And I got stone cold Democrats saying, yeah, of course. Really? And that's okay with you? You know, that's the part that's so crazy to me. It doesn't seem to bother them very much. But if the Department of Justice is not going to be even-handed based on political views, I may be in a lot of trouble. You know, the day will come when it won't just be censorship. I can live with censorship, but I really don't want to get incarcerated because of my beliefs. I don't want to be targeted. I don't want them to uh, make up a crime and then make me fit in it. That's what they do. That's what they do. This is horrendous. It's just horrendous. And, and the whole, a whole while, right, I got a, a border that's wide open on the south, a border that's fairly open on the north. I have a TSA that's busy, you know, body searching, uh, you know, James O'Keefe, but not worrying at all about Chinese nationals coming across the southern border. I'm just, I'm not even confused. I'm really angry about all this. And I'm really convinced that they want there to be so many problems that we cannot focus on anyone. But the idea that I have a military that is unprepared for what could conceivably happen within the next maybe two, five, two to five years should scare you to death. You know, you have a National uh, Guardsman, an Air National Guardsman, this Jack Texera, charged this month with six counts of willful retention and transmission of classified information while he was assigned to the Air National Guard on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And all I'm thinking is, you know, did that result in any, you know, foreign powers uh, getting information that could endanger us? Nobody's answering that question. You know, we have a political controversy tied to the uh, COVID-19 vaccine mandate. We have Republican governors who technically have authority over their guard troops refusing to comply with Lloyd Austin's mandate. 
putting guard troops at odds with the Defense Department. And we just found out that, well, uh, this story is too much for me to do in one minute. I'm going to have to hold it till the next break. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app, so you can participate, speak much, only for a living, in any one of our contests. We're giving away a $50 gift card from Bole Fresh Bold Kitchen, but you either have to enter to win on the app or at our website, 850 WFTL. I'll be right back. Stay where you are. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yeah, so the story that I didn't want to rush through was uh, the Pentagon overestimated the value of the ammunition, the missiles, and the other equipment it sent to the Ukraine by around $3 billion, okay? So um, now what they want to do with that is send more weapons to Kiev, you know, We've discovered inconsistencies in how we value the equipment that we've given to the Ukraine, one of the senior defense officials told Reuters. The officials and the Senate aides spoke on the condition of anonymity. Congress is being notified of the accounting adjustment. The defense official said it is possible the amount of overvalued weaponry could grow beyond $3 billion as the Pentagon examines the situation more thoroughly. Now, this is an early report that I had. I believe there's a more current one where we find out that, in fact, it was considerably more than, uh, you know, than $3 billion. And that should, again, that should concern us. How is it that people don't seem to care? We have a trillion-dollar defense budget, you know, and, and it was like, $37.7 billion allotted this time around for nuclear enterprise modernization. Will someone tell me what that means? You know, $858 billion defense bill was the, the year before, and, and now we see these incredible numbers. It just keeps growing and growing, and yet we're not ready to go to war. That should concern you. You know, it concerns me. To have a multi-billion dollar accounting error is beyond my comprehension. You know, uh, I'm just going to say uh, they, they're obviously not at all concerned about how they use your money and my money. We've got caps on defense spending. Um, we have... Oh, here it is. Here's the new one. Uh, $6.2 billion. wasn't $3 billion. They miscalculated, and now they're saying it's $6.2 billion in the overestimation of the weapons. So they're just going to send more weapons. The Pentagon has revealed the accounting error, 
double the initial estimate because we fit, said three million back in 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 uh, March or May, and now it's six point two billion. What does that tell you? Do you think they have any? Are they accurate in their assessment of anything? You know, this is. I'm not talking about a million dollars. I'm talking about billions of dollars that we miscalculated. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit, uh, you should be getting a little bit nervous. I, I just got an email from somebody who said five to two to five years. How about six months? We could be facing an attack in six months. It's entirely possible. A lot of things are going to happen before the next election. You know, bad guys are looking and they're thinking to themselves, hey, you know, we didn't believe Trump was going to get elected in 2016 and look what happened. He got elected and we couldn't do anything. Our hands were tied. And now he's running again. I mean, you know, he's getting indictments and he's got this and he's got that. So, you know, they're not as nervous. But guess what? As we get closer, if he gets a nomination, you don't think they're going to speed up their timetable? Because I do. And if that's true, we're looking at, uh, you know, maybe 17 months at the best. And maybe uh, sooner than that. I, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I am trying to scare you. You know, I'm trying to scare you because if you don't get activated, if you don't take these things seriously and you don't contact congressmen and you don't tell all these stupid people, you know what's killing me? is the fact that I don't want to get into a conversation with my neighbor. I don't want to have a discussion with my kids. I don't want to talk about this stuff. It's too uh, controversial, and we get into too many bad. You better tell them the truth. They need to know because we're not going to be able to stop this by ourselves. We're going to need decent people on both sides of the aisle to stop this craziness. You know, According to a Pentagon spokeswoman, Sabrina Singh, a detailed review identified the accounting error with uh, $3.6 billion in the current fiscal year and $2.6 billion in the previous fiscal year. And the surplus will now be added to the allocated funds for future Pentagon stock drawdowns providing additional support to Ukraine in its counteroffensive against Russia. Not for you, not for the southern border, not for the military, but for Zelensky. If that's okay with you, you're dead from the neck up. You don't have the the uh, the brain power of a uh, of an amoeba, which means you could serve in the Biden administration. Let me take a break. I'll be right back. Uh, I was up pretty late and then got up pretty early um, because I knew I wanted to read the. Supreme Court opinions that came down this week, and another one has just come down uh, earlier today, and this one was an eight-to-one ruling, which is as close as we're going to get probably to unanimous rulings um, this session. I think we had one unanimous ruling. This one was uh, a disappointment to me, though. The court said that the states of Texas and Louisiana did not have the standing or the legal right to sue 
uh, over the Biden administration's immigration guidelines that prioritize which non-citizens to deport. So the two Republican state attorneys general who argued um, this is a victory for Joe Biden in the White House, who continue to argue that they need to prioritize who they detain and who they deport because we have limited resources. But by ruling against the states, the court tightened the rules concerning when states may challenge federal policies with which they disagree, which is really problematic. It, it impacts more than just immigration. It impacts abortion. It impacts a lot of education, things that are um, may have uh, discrepancies between the federal law and the state law. You know, all these states that have these liberal uh, policies about drugs, they are tolerated even though the federal policy stands that most of these drugs that they are now making recreational from marijuana to other drugs at the, at the federal level, these are still... Uh, you know, crimes. And so this is going to become more and more the kinds of cases that will be presented to the Supreme Court. So Justice Kavanaugh wrote the majority opinion. He said, in some, the states have brought an extraordinarily unusual lawsuit. He was joined by Roberts, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Jackson. They want a federal court to order the executive branch to alter its arrest policies so as to make more arrests. Federal courts have not traditionally entertained that kind of lawsuit. Indeed, the states cite no precedent for a lawsuit like this. Well, there may not be a precedent, but there will be soon. You know, uh, Gorsuch, Thomas, and Barrett wrote a concurring opinion that concluded that the states also lack standing, but for different reasons than the majority opinion, and Justice Samuel Alito was the lone dissenter. At the heart of this dispute was a September 2021 memo from Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas that laid out priorities for the apprehension and removal of certain non-citizens, reversing the efforts by former President Donald Trump to increase deportations. In his memo, Mallorca stated there are approximately 11 million undocumented or otherwise removable non-citizens in the country and that the U.S. does not have the ability to apprehend and seek to remove all of them. As such, DHS want to prioritize those who pose a threat to national security. This is going to be interesting. I'll read the whole opinion again over the weekend. I got through one out of four um, so far, so it's going to take me a while, but by next week I should be able uh, to give you my opinion about about some of these uh, decisions, and that's what uh, that's the best that that anybody can do. I'm not a legal scholar. I'm not a constitutional attorney, but I do my best. I sit there with all kinds of uh, resources to help me determine, and then when push comes to shove, I call Derek. You know, and hopefully he'll be on today, and we can uh, talk to him about some other legal things. Because I'm really uh, wondering what the liability is going to be in this uh, Titan submarine case. Because I know people signed waivers, but, you know, is that going to be sufficient? I guess we will uh, find out, you know, and maybe Derek will have some answers for us. Um, the, other, the other story that, you know, and I have to be, sometimes I feel like I have to be overly cautious 
when I talk about certain stories because I don't want anyone out there to think that I want to give airtime to some of the stupidest stuff that gets discussed on television and in the newspapers because I don't. I, I think it's shameful that we spend as much time talking about these things, but I also think it's shameful that we're afraid to push back. So I'm going to push back. You know, I just, I just have to. Uh, and by the way, I think it was about eight or nine years ago, it was prior to the 2016 election, I said that I knew that Hispanics would be the largest demographic group in certain states before 2025. And I got into a little bit of a debate about it. And, uh, and then nobody was talking about it anymore. I, I remember being at a fair um, rally in Washington probably about five years ago. And people saying, well, you know, it's not going to be that soon. Well, Texas has now confirmed that the largest demographic group in Texas with more than 12 million residents, while the non-Hispanic white population is estimated to be 11.9 million. So they now have more Hispanic heritage residents in Texas than they do have uh, white population. And that is the beginning of Texas's demo demographic change. Watch for other states to follow. And as I predicted, by 2025, you will see that's true in three or four other states. Now, I think Florida will lag a little bit, but we'll catch up. It, we just won't make it by 2025. You know, Hispanics and Latinos have now reached a level where they outnumber the traditional white residents in Texas for the first time ever. And I know, when I talk about things like that, people go, ooh, you know, Joyce, what does that mean? Are you, uh, are you casting aspersions? No, I'm just stating facts. You know, we're making a lot of progress. Of course, math scores... Uh, are down, but uh, don't worry about that. We, we have other things. We have to worry about the Starbucks employees who are now protesting because certain Starbucks have decided they don't want to have pride decorations put up because uh, they saw what happened at Target and they see what happens at some of these other places, uh, the L.A. Dodgers, and so they figured, uh, you know, the better part of valor is not to, you know, load up the local Starbucks with a bunch of uh, rainbow-colored things and just, you know, we're, we're, some Starbucks are, you know, bright rainbows and some decided not to. So now all Starbucks baristas are going to protest, even if they're allowed, like the guy in San Antonio, Texas, Parker Davis, a 21-year-old barista, they're allowed to de decorate with pride things at his... Uh, his Starbucks, but he's going to go on the strike. He's going to strike anyway because, because he's scared not to. That's why. Because everybody's scared to push back on all of this. You know, it's, it's enough. It's enough. It's really enough. Forcing the entire society to just, uh, you know, bow down to the radical 
part of these communities. This is not your average LGBTQ issue. This is the radicals that just can't get enough concessions and approval. Anyway, let me take a break. I'm going to hopefully uh, get a hold of Derek and we can talk a little uh, you know, lighter. Well, it's not going to be that light today either with Derek, but it would be nice if I can uh, get him on to finish off this week. And then, of course, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro. Uh, 5 o'clock, Matt Walsh. And the 6 o'clock is the WPTV News. And then uh, we're, like, officially starting the weekend. But I have one segment left. Stay right where you are. They say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But in the case of Derek Kaufman, the apple rolled all the way to L.A. The one thing Derek and his mother share in common, however, is the love for breaking news. TMZ is breaking news faster than the New York Times. So sit back and enjoy the news from Hollywood. It's only the Kaufman family can bring it. Ah, yes, and it's that uh, what every mother looks forward to when she gets that uh, opportunity to talk to her beloved son. And, of course, my son Derek is uh, with TMZ. Uh, It's kind of hard sometimes to wrap my mind around that, but wrap it I have. How you doing, kid? I'm doing well. It's your favorite part of the week. You get to talk to your son about a bunch of uh, big news stories and nothing bigger than the submersible this week. I mean, that one crossed everyone. Yeah, it definitely did. And it was one of those stories that you knew would most likely not have a happy ending, but you just never wanted to give up hope. And, you know, one of the things that I was asking the audience yesterday when we first found out was like, what is the liability? You're the lawyer. Can can the family members sue for wrongful death? Yeah, you know, that is going to be the big question. So we got a hold of the release, the, the liability agreement that all of these people signed before going down, or at least one that's very similar. This is one that might have been from the past. But it is very robust. It says, you know, this is a very risky venture. You, This is an unregulated craft. It is not certified in any way. There's a high risk of death. Do you agree to go down there? And the big question is going to be is, can that hold up in court? Now, look, these are sophisticated parties. These are very rich individuals who had access to lawyers before they signed away these rights. But it may be a matter of public policy that says, look, we don't want to allow businesses like this to operate at all. Um, Mm. And it'll be interesting to see what the court says about that. If they were sort of grossly negligent in running this business, you can't waive that kind of liability. Simply can't under Mm -hmm. the law as a matter of public policy, regardless of what you sign. Um, This says, you know, if it's just ordinary negligence, it's going to be a much closer question as to whether we actually hold up the right of people to take adventures and, uh, you know, have these risks. Yeah. Yeah. And, that you know, I figured that there was probably a pretty uh, stringent liability waiver. I mean, I, I remember when I jumped with the Golden Knights a few times, you know, the liability waiver was like nine pages long. And it was like, you know, you're jumping out of an airplane. Like, you, you, you understand that, you know. And, and, uh, and I remember turning to somebody at the time and saying, like, so really, if you guys mess up and the parachute is faulty, I, my family can't sue? And they said, well, no, not exactly. <laughs> so they're yeah, not you know, ironclad. That, that's what these, these are regulated industries, right? I mean, yeah, skydiving, yeah. you sign all those releases. There is a certification procedure. There's licenses. What's different here is this guy built this thing a lot out of, like, sort of ordinary uh, camping equipment and things of that nature. And it wasn't certified. Um, mm. You know, I don't necessarily think it was built in a, in a shoddy manner. It had taken trips before, but there was a lot of risk in going down in this vessel um, just, just, just by 
by the nature of how much pressure you're dealing with down there. And it's very unfortunate that this happened, but the liability question is going to be huge because they think that this, this agreement sort of waived all liability, but that's going to be a question for courts if one of the families decides to sue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the the other big story that crosses from entertainment to, you know, uh, tech and and politics even is will Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg duke it out in the octagon? Look, this is a this is getting a lot of steam behind it because they've been going back and forth about this this MMA fight between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Now, here's a big catch. We talked to Dana White, who said, yeah, look, this would be a huge fight, maybe one of the biggest pay-per-view events ever. Uh, but we'll provide the octagon, and let, let's absolutely do this. But there's a size disadvantage. Elon Musk is 6'1". He's uh, probably between 185 and 200 pounds, uh, depending on what sources you believe. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg is smaller. He's 5'7". He's around 155 pounds, and weight really matters. You always have weight classes, right? Heavyweights, lightweights, and so forth. So how they would do this in a fair way, look, it, it would be probably an exhibition. They're not professional fighters, so you could just right. do it if you want to. But it's hard to know who's the better fighter when there's this big of a disparity of weight. Right, right. Although one is trained and the other isn't. Elon Musk said the most activity he gets is tossing his baby up in the air. And uh, uh, That's exactly right. Look, yeah. look Zuck, is a tra- he trains in this stuff. He's been in tournaments. uh so he's probably more polished as a fighter, but Elon would have the weight advantage. That's what makes it an interesting fight is, like, maybe he's less in shape, Elon, but just being big is a big advantage. You ever seen Princess Bride when they're jumping yeah. under the giant's back just trying to choke him out? It's just because he's huge. Yeah. Well, and Elon said, you know, I, I'm, I have the walrus move. I'll just lie on top of him. <laughs> <You know? It's> like, <laughs> Look, they've I... been generating a lot. I think they should do it for charity if they ever do right. it. I mean, they're both billionaires. They certainly don't need pay-per-view revenue to add right. to their coffers, but it would be interesting. People really want to see this happen. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, because, of course, uh, James Cameron, uh, we all know he was the director of the Titanic, but all of a sudden he's everywhere as this expert. Did you know that he was like an undersea ex- expert as a result of making a movie? I'm, I'm confused. I- I did, actually. James Cameron is a very big expert in this field. He's taken 33 missions down to very deep points of the ocean, even deeper than the Titanic wreckage. He's been down in the Mariana Trench, the deepest part of the the Earth. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's an expert on this, and what he's had to say is, people are listening to, because he says when he first met with the fellow experts when the story broke, he said it was very clear to him that the, the communications went out and the navigation went out at the same time this thing imploded, and we shouldn't have had um, officials sort of giving false hope. Um, he's implying at least that by saying there was, they heard banging and saying there were 96 hours of oxygen left, we were really prolonging this thing in a way that was damaging to the family And when the high probability at the outset was that this thing had imploded. Yeah, because uh, uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw said, you know, he's heard uh, specifically that the Navy heard the implosion on Sunday. And, That's and, right. And, they heard something, and maybe they can't yeah. confirm it, but the information right. that should have been disclosed to the public in terms of you know the narrative that the media was running with should have been there's a high probability that this is just a recovery uh, mission. We hope otherwise. Obviously, anything could happen. We're not, it wasn't confirmed. They didn't right. have the wreckage yet. But to give people the hope in this 96-hour countdown that was run 24-7, uh, very, uh, very different. Yeah. Well, we probably won't get to a lot of other stories, but I did want to let people know that you should watch, if you want to talk about a miracle, 
uh, it's the kids who were found after 40 days in the Amazon. And TMZ Investigates is a documentary about that. I guess we were all hoping that we would have another miracle with the Titan. But, uh, you know, I'm curious. I'm eager to see the miracle children of the Amazon that you guys have just put out. Yeah, fascinating documentary. I mean, they were out there for 40 days and 40 nights. It's almost biblical and in yeah. such dangerous conditions. And these are young kids, and it really is a miracle. It is. Well, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, some of these stories that we didn't get to, we'll get to at another time. Have a great weekend. Sounds good. Thank All you. right. Bye-bye. And uh, that, uh, you know, that's pretty much the end of the week. What a week it's been. And not that every week isn't such a, you know, crazy week, but I think that... Uh, Certainly the submersible uh, story uh, dominated a lot of our thoughts and prayers and, uh, and, not, and, and the fact that uh, the ending wasn't what any of us would have hoped for um, just made it a rough, rough week in general. And then, of course, Hunter Biden, Donald Trump, and, and Bronny's going to the USC to play basketball. Thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here on Monday at noon. If it be his will and he delays his coming, what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. May God bless you. May God bless those families and comfort them. And may God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.